is risen today. If you believe he's risen, turn to the person beside you and say, he is risen. If you believe that, say amen. amen. We are so glad you are here today. I'm Corey Bushonic. I'm the growth pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and I feel like I'm screaming this morning. I'm excited to be in the presence of not only brothers and sisters in Christ, but knowing we stand in the midst of a holy, righteous, mighty, big God. And if that don't get your fire lit, your wood's wet. This morning as we take this time to worship together, we also want to take this time to give you that call Fellowship of the Rockies, your church home, an opportunity to give back out of the blessings that God has poured out in your life. So we want to take this opportunity for you to give of your tithes and your offerings. And if you're a guest with us today, we want you to know we are simply excited that you are with us today. So if you would take this time to just simply give this time to the Lord and let Him use this to further His kingdom. Father, this morning, we know without any doubt that, Father, without You, all this is meaningless. That, Father, without Your presence in this place today, Father, we're simply going through a routine that at the end of the day just simply is exhausting. But, Father, this morning we come together knowing the joy, the hope, the peace, Father, that is produced by knowing that your son died on a cross, that your son rose again and now sits at the right hand of the Father, bringing hope and deliverance and joy into a world that is broken all around us. And so, Father, this morning we lift holy hands, Father, unto you, knowing that you still mend the broken, that you still produce a hope for the hopeless, and you are still father to the fatherless, and you are still in love with your bride. And so, Father, today, we take this time to say thank you for all that you've done, knowing that we say thank you for all that you're going to do. So, Lord, in this time today, may you and you alone be lifted up. May you be glorified. Father, today, may this all, every aspect of what we do, be solely focused and directed on who you are as our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Father, again, we say thank you. In your son's matchless name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. This is our 17th year here in Pueblo, Colorado. So thank you for coming to it. Sorry about that. So I want to thank you for coming to our birthday party, if you will, because this is when we started out, Easter 1995. Hey, listen, let me say this just real quickly. As we were in the back and we were waiting for you guys to, to get in and find your seats, and I was following some Twitter feeds, and I know that doesn't sound spiritual, but that's just what I was doing. And so I was following some uh, Twitter feeds, and someone uh, put out a tweet that said, the event center has never looked this good. And so, yeah, and so, so let me just tell you this. Uh, if you tweet something about Fellowship the Rockies or our service, here's what we'd ask you to do. Just use our Twitter handle, which is at 4Pueblo. That is at uh, 4Pueblo. Those of you that, that, that use Twitter, you understand, you get it, you know what I'm talking about. 
uh, those that you don't understand, uh, ask like a third grader, they'll help you. And so, uh, okay? So you do that. So well, we're here to celebrate the, resur the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say he is risen, and I'm going to ask you to shout, about he, shout back, he has risen indeed. He is risen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. You know, they tell us when you look at statistics this. They tell us that 80% of Americans agree with this statement, that Jesus Christ on the third day resurrected just as the scriptures had said. Now, the important thing is also, not only do, do we believe in that statement, but the question is this, what difference does it make? I mean, what difference does it make in your life, whether he resurrected or life? Does it change your life? Has it impacted your life? Because really and truly, that's what we gather here this morning is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the disciples, after Jesus had resurrected and Jesus came back to them and appeared to them, it said that it radically changed their life. I mean, their lives were transformed. They were no longer the same. They lived life with a different focus. They lived life with a different meaning. Fact is, all of their relationships changed. Everything about them changed. Their priorities changed. Their values changed. What they did in life totally and radically changed because they saw the resurrection Savior. They knew that He was God. That he was that he did exactly what he said that he was going to do now what would happen if the resurrection of Jesus Christ radically changed us and transformed us the way that it did the the disciples this morning we start a brand new series called 212 degrees and and we're looking at this issue of what happened and what would happen if we changed the focus of our life and we lived life with meaning and purpose and the resurrection radically changed our life. If you have your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones, your, your droids, whatever you use to read the scriptures from, uh, we're going to look at two passages of scriptures this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, and then we'll get there towards the end of the message, and we're going to look at John chapter 8. There was a man by the name of Matt Emmons, and Matt Emmons, I told this story at a leadership banquet that we had a number of, of, of months ago here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and, and Matt Emmons uh, competed in the 2004 Summer of Olympics at, at Athens, Greece. Uh, Matt Emmons wasn't a name that you would follow, or probably that you don't even know or have never heard of. See, in the 2004 Summer of Olympics, we followed people like Michael, Michael Phelps and some others, some of those other names. But Matt Emmons caught my eye when I was reading a Sports Illustrated magazine, and they told the story of Matt Emmons. You see, Matt Emmons was competing in the, the, the rifle competition. Fact is, it was the three-point rifle competition in the 50-meter and it was a, he was making his last shot. He had one shot to go, and he was going to win the gold. Fact is, he had such a large mar margin from those that he was competing against that all he really had to do is just hit the target. I mean, that would be like telling Picasso, all you have to do is just hit the canvas. And Matt Emmons took his position, and Matt Emmons fired, and he looked in his monitor, and there was no bullet hole in his target. He turned to the official and he told the official, he said, something must be wrong with my gun. My gun must have, have misfired. There's something wrong with my gun. And the official grabbed a set of binoculars and began to investigate and looked. And then all of a sudden, the official noticed that to the competitor next to Matt, at his target, there were two bullet holes. A simple crossfire 
a simple issue of aiming at the wrong target cost Matt Emmons the gold medal. And he ended up placing eighth in the competition. We gather this morning as Christians, we gather this morning as followers of Christ. And what if we're aiming at the wrong target? What if we really don't know what it means to be a believer and a follower of Christ? You see, our prayer this morning is over and over in the scriptures, Jesus would take an event and he would turn that event into an encounter. This morning, we're praying that God would turn the Pueblo Event Center into to the Pueblo Encounter Center to where you would have an encounter with him like you've never had before. And this would not be just another event to you. This would not be just something that you do every year, but that you would have an event, an encounter with him that would radically change your life. You see, Donald Whitney said this, and um, watch this. Here, here's what he says. It's come up on the screens. It says, if a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it really doesn't matter what he or she is right about. I mean, let, let me ask you this morning, what does it mean to be a Christian? And what does it mean to be a Christian? You know, if, if, if we had time this morning and I divided you up into groups of ten and told you to get in circles of groups of ten and go around the circle and, and give your definition and, and tell others what you think it means to be a Christian, here's the fact. You wouldn't get all ten of the same answers. You may get three of the same. You may get five of the same. You may even get eight of the same. But chances are you will not get ten of the same answers because there are some people that say, well, well, wait a minute. Being a Christian is only what you believe. As long as you just kind of believe in God and you do more good stuff than bad stuff, then really and truly that's what it means to be a believer. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's just, it's just really what you believe. And there may be another group of you who say, well, wait a minute. It's, it's, it's your behavior. It's, it's how you live your life. It's, it's your behavior. fact is the typical response when you start talking and you start drilling down deep into this definition of what does a Christian mean and as you talk to people most of the time the answer that you and I will get back is this is it is a is a system of rules and regulations it is a list of do's the things that you're supposed to do the things that you're supposed to to follow through in your life and then it's a list of the don'ts it's a list of some things that you don't do. And so we have come to believe that this issue of being a Christian is either belief and behavior, but if the target that we are aiming at is to be a Christian, then what does it mean? I mean, what does it mean to be a, a believer? Now, here's the crazy deal. And the reason it makes it so difficult to define, you realize in the New Testament the word Christian was only used three times? Fact is, in the New Testament, it's not really clearly defined. Fact is, the people that used the word Christian in the New Testament, they weren't the people that were in the Jesus community. It was a group of people that were looking from outside into the, the, the Christians and saying, oh, fact is, it was a derogatory term. I mean, it was a, in fact, is it was a harsh derogatory term. It would be much like we may use the word redneck 
or because of the way you dress and because of the music you listen to and because you eat roadkill and all of that other stuff that, oh, you're a redneck. It was a group, it was a name given to a group of people because of behavior, because of some words that you use. And it was a derogatory term. It was not a helpful term. It would be like you look into a group of people and say, you know what, because you know a lot about computers and because you can fix my computer and you understand that, oh, you're a geek. Or because you have a pocket protector and you have glasses with, with tape on them and all of that other stuff and you understand stuff that we do not understand, oh, you're a, you're a nerd. See, it was a derogatory term that was used by a group of people when they looked into this Jesus community. But here's the crazy deal. Jesus and his followers never used the word Christian to define themselves. Now listen, this morning, don't get nervous, don't get worried. I am not saying that we should quit using that term, but I am saying this, that we should understand it and we should get it and we should know what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Christ. You see, Jesus and the disciples they used a different term. And I'm telling you, it is a threatening term. I'm telling you what, this term is so well defined in the scriptures. You see, the problem with the word Christian, people have defined it and redefined it and undefined it. And it can mean sometimes whatever someone wants it to mean. People can justify all kinds of horrible acts, judgment, condemnation, in the name of Christianity. But this word that Jesus used and the disciples used appeared over 256 times in the New Testament. I'm telling you, it was a threatening term. And it was a term disciple. A disciple meant follower. It meant pupil. It meant this term that when they followed someone, that they wanted their life to reflect the life of their rabbi or their teacher. I mean, it was this term that was used, it was just so deep and so defined to where they would look at the one that they were following and they would say, the way he acts, I want to act. The way he loves, I want to love. I mean, they had this term in their culture, in their time, that may you follow the person so closely that the dust of his sandals would cover you. In other words, that your life would take on the life of theirs and you would live out their values and, and their meaning. This morning, I want us to look just real quickly at that issue of what does it mean? What does it mean to be a Jesus follower? What does it mean to gather in this place? What does it mean to worship him? The first one is this, is that a Jesus follower is rightly related to God. I mean, look at this. The scripture teaches us in John 17, 3, and he, he t says this, and he says, and this is eternal life. He makes it very clear to us. He said, this is eternal life. In other words, Jesus was God in the flesh, and he came, and he took on sin, and he died in our place so that we can have forgiveness of sin. But you see that he had this intimate relationship with the Father, and what flowed out of his life was what? Was the will of the Father. And so Jesus made it really clear for us in, in John 17, 3, and he says, and this is eternal life. That what? That they know. That they know who? They know what? That they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
whom you sent. Jesus is saying, this is the end game. Jesus is saying, this is everything. Jesus is saying, the reason that you worry about the target that you're aiming at is because this issue of, of the eternity, because you're going to spend a long time in this place called eternity. And see, what many people will tell you is the list of the do's and the don'ts and the rules and the regulations to where hopefully when you get to the end of your life that you've done enough good things and, and he'll let you in. But the scripture tells us that, that you can know now that you have a relationship with him. You see this word know, it signifies and it shows an intimate, personal relationship. It's not a religion. A religion is a system of rules and regulations that man uses to try to reach God. And religion says there are some things that you have to do and there's things that you don't do. But when you look at Scripture, when you look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, this is the gospel. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here we go that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that we were separated from God and that our sins separate, from, uh, se separate us from God, and that Jesus took on our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could have a relationship with him for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom, watch this, is so important, most of whom are still alive. Do you realize when the New Testament was written, people were still living and breathing that had seen the resurrected form of Jesus Christ? Regardless of what anybody tells you, they were still living. They could still give testimony that he, resur he was resurrected from the grave just as he said he was. And though some had fallen asleep, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one ultimately born, he also appeared to me. For I am at least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Apostle Paul's writing this. He, he had a very difficult testimony. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of, of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, so what? So we preach so that you will believe. God has invited us into an intimate relationship with him. This word know indicates that it's a personal relationship and you know him intimately and, and he knows you. I mean... It's about a relationship. It's not about a religion. I mean, what is marriage? Is marriage buying a house together? Is marriage uh, getting a joint checking account? Is marriage sharing a meal together? Is marriage raising some kids together? Is, is marriage saving for retirement together? No. Marriage is what? Marriage is a love relationship between a man and a woman. And listen, without the love relationship between a man and a woman... All of those other things don't make sense, right? You're not in the mall and you don't approach someone and say, hey, you want to buy a house together? Or, hey, would you mind opening up a joint checking account with me? Are you, 
you don't, you don't drive down the street one day about dinner time and walk in someone's house and sit down at the table and say, hey, what's for dinner? They'd look at you like you're crazy, right? Listen, all of those things do not make sense without a loving relationship between a husband and a wife. And let me tell you something. That's why people sometimes in religion feel like they're just going through the motions, just doing the deal, just doing the thing. Because without, I'm telling you, without a love relationship that he knows you and you know him, nothing else, nothing else makes sense. I mean, what is Christianity? Is it only the do's and the don'ts? Is it only going to church and reading your Bible and prayer? Without the love of relationships, it's just going through the, it's going through the motions. Man, listen, I don't come to church hoping God accepts me and that I put in enough weekends and I put in enough Sundays and I put in enough Easter services so that at the end of my life, he will barely let me into heaven. I come to church because that's where his children gather and worship him because they have a relationship with them and he has a relationship with them. Listen, I'm telling you, without a love relationship, all of these other things don't make sense. Here's the other thing about following Christ. Following Jesus is being rightly related to the church. I mean, you go through the scriptures and you realize about God did not create us to live in isolation. He did not create us to live without relationships around us, but he created us to have a relationship with him and he created us to have a relationship with others. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you start seeing in the creation account that God made light and said it was good and he made earth and said it was good and he made the sun and the moons and he said it was good and he made uh, he made the animals and he made all these different things and he kept saying that it was good. And then look at this in Genesis 2.18. He said, then the Lord God said, it is not good. What? Not good? I thought we were like on this roll of good. I thought we were on this roll of good things. And all of a sudden he says, it is not good that man should what? Should be alone because he did not create us to live in isolation. And I will make a helper suitable for him. And let me tell you something. Being a Jesus follower is being rightly related to God. And he's being rightly related to the church because let me tell you something. The best way for you to know him and have a relationship with him is in community with a body of believers. We, we've done, like I said, this is our 17th Easter service. And Karen and I, we have so many memories of Easter services here and, and life change. And, and uh, I have this individual's permission. I just want to share a story with you. His, his name was, was, is, is Greg. And and a number of years ago, we had done a marathon of Easter services just to get everybody in. And, and Greg walked up to me, kind of frustrated. And, and he walked up to me, and he looked at me, and he says, Great service, great sermon, see you next year. I said, wow. And so I don't know what it is about Greg, but I, I key it, keyed in on Greg, and I, I never forgot about Greg. And to wherever Easter service, I would... I would see Greg and I would see him in the service and sometimes he approached me and sometimes he avoided me. And then this Easter comes. 
Something happened in Greg's life. And it was no longer an event. He had an encounter. He spent Saturday loading up a trailer of all the children's stuff over at our church and hauled it over here. After this service, he'll tear down and load out with us. He was an usher and helped some of you find your seats. And why did he do that? Not to try to earn his way into heaven because you cannot get God to love you any more than he already does. Not to put in enough time and not to serve. He did that. Why? Because it came of an overflow of an encounter that he had with God. It just flowed out of his life. A Jesus follower is rightly related to God and he's rightly related to the church. And the last thing is this, following Jesus is being rightly related to the, to the world. And as to where we have a relationship with people that are far away from God, Jesus had a radical engaging relationships with the world. And we're on that same mission. And Jesus came to reveal the Father so that we could look at Jesus and say, that is what God is like, and that is how God responds, and that is how he would handle those situations. The fact is, in Matthew chapter 9, it says this of Jesus, that Jesus was what? Who was he a friend of? He was a friend of sinners. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus Christ, that he hung out with people that were not anything like him. The fact is, they were very far away from God. And they liked him. And they liked hanging out with him. Jesus attracted people that were not religious. Fact is, the religious people were repulsed by him. And Jesus, what the scripture says, is he hung out with people that were very far away from him. Fact is, it was only the religious that I had a problem with him. John 17, 18 says this. says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And once we engage in a life-changing relationship with him, we are rightly related to him, we are rightly related to the church, and we are rightly related to the world. And we have been sent into our neighborhoods and our families and our communities to represent him. Second Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is Christ God who rec is, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting, watch this, their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Christ wherever we go. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, what? We might have the righteousness. We might have the righteousness of God. Man, he sends us into the neighborhoods, in our families, in our communities. That's, that's why we've done what we have done today. Is to represent Christ. And turn an event into an encounter in John chapter 8. Jesus has an encounter, a woman has an encounter with him. This woman is very far from God, and the religious people caught her in the act of adultery. Most theologians believe that she was set up 
And so they took her out of this room that she was in and they ran her out into the city square and they took her and they threw her at the feet of Jesus and they looked at Jesus and said, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? What do you say that we should do with this woman? And, it, and she couldn't even look up. I mean, she's waiting for the first rock to hit her. In John chapter 8, verse 10. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one, has no one, condemned you because see prior to this Jesus said he who was out without sin fire away throw the first rock and one by one they dropped their rocks and they walked away he said where are they who condemns you watch this verse 11 she said no one Lord and Jesus said now get this She's standing in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus did not die for us on a cross and be resurrected on the third day so that we could be condemned, but so that we could be forgiven and we could be changed and we could walk in newness of life. You ask the average person about Christianity, and you know what they'll say? They'll say condemnation. But that was not the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the reason is, is because some Christians are aiming at the wrong target. It is my fear this morning on this Christmas, um, on this Easter Sunday, that there are people filling churches all across America, and they are aiming at the wrong target. It is so clearly defined in Scripture what a Jesus follower looked like, what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And here you have this lady with shame guilt and felt she was going to receive condemnation and found forgiveness from him. Listen, let me tell you something. I've really, I've really struggled with this illustration and talked to Karen and my wife. And You see, I was raised uh, with good parents, came from a good family, nothing about them. But I was raised and came out of childhood with the fear of rejection. I just had this fear of rejection for whatever reason. I don't know why. And to where even Karen and I would have all these conversations and, and I'd say, well, you know what? Well, well, why do you love me? I mean, why do you love me? And she'd always say, well, because you're so stinking hot. I, <laughs> I made that up. <laughs> I'd say, why do you love me? And say, well, because you're funny. I mean, you just, you just make me laugh. You make me la laugh like almost every day. I just, I love your humor. And I, then I'd look and say, well, what if I'm not funny? 
What if I quit being funny? I mean, why do you love me? Well, you're good. I mean, you got some good values and you're a good husband. What if I quit being a, ba- a, a good husband? What if I have a bad day? She couldn't win, right? I had this fear of, of what? This fear of rejection. I had this fear that, that I was going to be rejected. And, and, and I have a fear that when people disagree with me, they just totally reject me. And it comes from that. And then I'm reading the scriptures in the Psalms. And I come across a verse that says this, that even though your mother and father reject you, I, the Lord, am ready to receive you. I will never... I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will always be your father and you will always be my child. And there's nothing you can ever do to make me love you more than I do already. See, a disciple of Christ is this intimate, living, breathing relationship with God that out of that overflow spills out. others let me ask you this morning because that's why we're here do you have a personal relationship with him or is it just going through the motions and it doesn't really make sense to you because it's just going through the motions. Have you come to the place in your life to where you have accepted him and you know him and he knows you? Some of you this morning, you just may need to hear from him. Who condemns you? Because there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever shame, whatever guilt, whatever you are carrying, let me tell you something. In the presence of God, there is no condemnation. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And let me ask you this morning, your heads bowed and your eyes closed and the reason we ask you the reason I ask you to do that is because this portion is just so important this is not the end of our service our worship team is going to lead us in another song but let me ask you have you come to the place to where you know this is eternal life a relationship with him not a checklist form of Christianity but a relationship where you've asked him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. There's only a few things you need to know that he is sinless, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that he is perfect, he is holy, and he is righteous that he is sovereign 
that God is in control. He is sovereign. You are not here this morning by accident. You are here this morning to have an encounter with Him. And that He is sovereign and He has brought you into this place this Easter to have an encounter with Him. And then you need to know that He is the Savior. That in a relationship with Him, there is no condemnation. And because of that, you can have eternal life.